Yo, yo, yo. Hey, crew. Skippy of the Skipper Report here. Welcome back to another episode. On this episode, I get to talk with Bevan Waite. He's the owner of Mountain Grown Media. He's a telemark skier. He's an architect. And he's a filmmaker. And he's transitioning from being an architect into making filmmaking a full-time endeavor. So in this episode, we uh, sit down, chat about all those things, plus what it's like to uh, put together films. And so make yourself comfortable and enjoy this episode. I hate technology. Every time I go to do <laughs> one of these things, I, yeah. I set everything up. Like I, I went to go on 40 minutes before um, 3 o'clock your time, yeah, and it took like almost the whole time. It was like just five minutes before everything all gelled together. I was like, and my wife knows me. I throw things. I uh, my bank was bugging me one day. The app wasn't working. I, the phone, my my uh, front of my phone is all smashed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. <laughs> all right, that's good. Okay, I was just checking the sound stuff while we're talking here. So yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, tell me, tell me about your um, your podcast. Uh, I, I had, I have lots of interesting conversations. My, my son-in-law who's upstairs, you'll probably hear some noise because I'm presently in Windsor, just across the river from Detroit. Oh, okay, cool. And, uh, so I would, uh, have these conversations with people and, and Eric calls me the been there, done that guy. (laughs) And I haven't done a, a lot, but, uh, yeah. Um, anyways, as, as I was an educator, I always told the kids, make sure you're educated enough and literate enough so that you can have interesting conversations with people. And, and I would have these interesting conversations and I'm like, Hey, this would be a great podcast topic. So my wife called me on it this year for Christmas and did a bunch of research and, uh, went to the local, uh, audio store. It's a national chain up here called Long and McQuaid. I don't know if they have it in the U S Cool. And uh, the guy says, well, you did your homework. That's everything I would recommend. And so he put it all together. Yeah. And my wife goes, oh, that's expensive. He goes, well, why don't you do what us musicians do? We rent it until we like it. <laughs> yeah, I do the same thing with camera gear. Man. Oh, do you? Yeah. I'll, uh, like, uh, there's this great um, service, Lens Rental. Okay. And you can rent, uh, you know, whatever. Right. From, like, high production quality equipment right for like a matter of like a couple hundred bucks for a weekend right exactly and so i'll go off on a shoot and i'll like rent some equipment that i'm like thinking about buying and i'll see if i like it or not um how it works with my camera and whatnot and uh and then decide you know after the fact right yeah so that that's what we did i I just added some uh monitor speakers because i prefer listening to speakers instead of headphones and Oh my gosh. Yeah, totally. And, uh, it's all mobile, which is great. Cause we have, I don't know what to call it yet. We have a 41 foot fifth wheel toy hauler. Nice. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, that's a big one too. It is. It is. Well, I'm six foot six. My kids are kind of tall. Wow. You know, yeah. one of the boyfriends is tall. You need <laughs> lots of room, right? And, and there's enough room yeah. for everybody to have their own space. And yeah. we don't have motorcycles in the toy hauler. We put uh, paddle boards, ski equipment, bicycles. Cool. Nice. It's all human powered stuff. So it's like our our gear gear hut, I guess. And we always go in and out of the garage door. So uh-huh. 
Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it's it's lots of fun, and I was kind of hoping that we'd have it on a big trip this past winter. But uh, yeah, this uh, strange thing happened called COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they'll put a wrench in pretty much everyone's plans. Yeah, and you know what? I just got to my cottage in Quebec for the first time in almost two years this past weekend. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so that's my podcast. I. You know what? I was uh, interviewing uh, somebody I had listened to on another podcast. Oh. I don't know if you've ever heard of Out of Bounds podcast. Uh, I haven't, but it sounds kind of familiar. Yeah, uh, I can't remember Adam's last name, uh, but he's a a, a ski, ski geek, a cycling geek, that sort of stuff, and he's got a podcast. And this other guy was being interviewed, Adam Sourwin, and he's on. He's a telemark skier, uh, Mister Adam X on Instagram. Cool. Nice. And so I was listening to one of his podcasts one day and he told, you know, we kind of talk sometimes and he said, yeah, I just kind of reached out to this person and I was like, oh, maybe I should do that. So the first person I really reached out to who I didn't really know was Megan Kelly. Nice. Yeah. I love Megan. Oh, she's so great. Oh my gosh. She is like the bomb. Like when I found out, I knew she's in movies. I know she's the mom of yeah. triplet. They're probably seven year olds now. Yeah, I think they are, yeah. <laughs> and and she's a full-time civil engineer and a ski athlete. And I'm like, oh, my God, where does she find the energy? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's crazy. She is, like, one of the most driven people that I know. I, You know, I, I don't um, talk with her often, but uh, I have gone on a couple trips with her, and she's yeah. just, like, so on it all the time. I um, bet. Wanting to push it, too, like, is really – um capable and is willing to like push her own skiing right even though you know she's not like a 20 something year old like athlete you know yeah i am even i'm in my late 20s now and i'm feeling like i should probably slow down because uh i I don't want to like get hurt it's not like when i was 18 years old and i was like oh screw it i'll just try this like new thing and if i tomahawk and hit a tree like i'll be fine you know no Uh, yeah, it's good that you're thinking about that now because I'm 57 and I've just been thinking about that the last, well, no, I'm 58 now. The last few yeah. years, and it's like my buddies will go, hey, let's do this. I was like, no, homie, don't do that anymore. Because yeah, nice. <laughs> I, I have had so many sports injuries just, you know, for, for putting out 110% effort. Yeah, and the yep. last one that really finished me off is because I'm a carpenter. Also, I fell off my buddy's roof while I was uh, building his garage, and I landed feet first, tucked and rolled, and my knees not been the same since. Oh, <clears throat> yeah, man, that is rough. I, I was. Mean, you think like landing feet first is probably better than landing, you know, anything else first. Yeah, but uh, at the same time, that's a lot of impact, right? It is. Days. And I'm I'm like six foot six, two hundred and eighty pounds. Oh gosh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you got some momentum there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my daughter, who's a firefighter, she was with me, and she was there was a fence between us, and she she couldn't really do anything, and she said, "All you said, Dad, was oh here I go, and off the roof I went." <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was. Uh, it it was a little painful. It took me about five days to recover from that, but I, uh, that yeah. was quite a few years ago. I would say like maybe ten years ago, and yeah. my knee has really bothered me in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyways, but yeah, that's uh, me and the podcast. So let's get on to you, man. Yeah, let's do it. So we've got Bevan Wait here on the Skippy Report, 
And uh, we've just been uh, talking a little bit, getting to know each other, because we've never really met, except that I do know that he's a filmmaker, a Telemark filmmaker. But other than that, tell us who you are, Bevan. Yeah, um, well, let's see. I am. I grew up in California, um, in the Bay Area, South Bay, like kind of near Santa Cruz. And uh, always, you know, loved going to the mountains. And uh, my dad was a Telmar skier, which I think is why a lot of us young people Telly ski, you know, uh, one of my buddies, Ty, he, he was the same way. His grandpa and his dad were both Telly skiers. And you kind of just pick it up that way, right? You're just like looking at your dad's ski and you're like, yo, dude, what's wrong with your heel? Yeah. That looks kind of like interesting. Um, maybe y'all want to try. And, you know, I'm like a seven-year-old kid being like, hmm, this looks like kind of fun. And I think my dad was also thinking at that point in time, like, oh, maybe we should get Devin on teleskis because, uh, he, you know, he's getting pretty fast. He's starting to do 180s, you know. Right. Like I, I don't know where this is going, where this road is going to lead him. So slow him like down, slow him down. down. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that worked for about a year. Oh, um, but I just really just fell in love with it. It was, uh, it became, I, you know, like anything you do when you're a kid, you pick things up pretty easily. Yeah. And uh, it sticks in your brain. There's something in your brain where it just like gets cemented into your, um, in, into just the way that you move. And uh, well, it, kids, it, kids don't overanalyze stuff because yeah. uh, right. I, I am a carpenter, but I have a degree in phys ed. Nice. So cool. a lot of science, kinesiology, biomechanics and all that stuff. So it's like when, uh, when you try stuff and you start to get it, then you start analyzing it and then you're all screwed up. <laughs> right, you're over overthinking things left and right. And yeah, get just, out of your head. They just kind of send it, and uh, they they go with what feels right. And um, yeah, it just became the way that I skied. Right, like I was always um, a young kid, like you know, in middle school and high school, um, going out with my friends, and they were all snowboarders, <laughs> and I was just the, the dude on teleskis. And I always got questions like, "Why do you do this?" And I'm like, "I don't, I don't know. I just, I just do." Right. Um, and it, it progressed and I, um, I later in, in high school, I did a couple of telemark comps and, um, oh man, the funny, the first comp that I did was, was pretty funny. I was all excited to like be involved in like the, the scene and, uh, and whatnot and seeing all the adults go was like this really cool thing. I was like, wow, I can't believe that these guys are hucking these huge cliffs and skiing these crazy lines. And I get up there to go ski my line and, uh, this is the Alpine Meadows. Uh, back in the day uh, in the keyhole and I, I make a couple turns down the keyhole like some you know sketchy steep turns and immediately just fall and like uh, kind of tomahawk down oh. the whole part of the face wow <laughs> <laughs> and, and I get up and I ski back down there and, and no one's cheering they're all like oh man are you okay bro <laughs> and I'm all down but uh yeah I got up there again and, and kind of just uh, skied a little bit mellower of line and, and was able to see the rest of my line well and and just the community was so great you know it, it was just such a fun vibe to be involved in this like niche sport right that, where everyone was just so supportive and, and so jazzed about what they were doing you know the competitions really didn't they weren't like competitions it was it was like a big party at um uh like collaboration of all yep. all these tele skiers and um i think i think that is what tele skiers do that's mm -hmm. you know like I, I raced 
smashing gates on telly and that sort of stuff. And you know what? It's, it's, it's like that. We get together, we compete against each other for a few minutes. And then afterwards, you know, we're all out there having fun. It's like curling. Yes, I love that. Oh, do you? Really yeah, well, you know what? It's I don't know if they have the same rules in the U.S., but uh, the winners have to buy the losers the beer in Canada. That's amazing. Yeah, so I that, that I, I think that's what telemark skiing is, man. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, exactly. we all have that vibe afterwards. Yeah, we go out and compete. We have fun, and yeah. then we all get together afterwards, right? Yeah, yeah, except <clears throat> instead of beer, it's weed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So, wow. so you're in middle school, I think you were saying, and you were competing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you've always been telemark skiing and that sort of stuff. So, where did you go in between that and what I know of you now, being a filmmaker? Yeah, totally. Well, there's kind of a long um, several several years that uh, passed in between, like my high school. Uh, wouldn't want to say career, but the the few times that I competed in high school and um, I went to college and uh, studied architecture and um, architecture is very uh, intense major, Uh, very, um, it's fun to do, uh, but there's a lot of work. And the first year I didn't even, I think I skied like twice. Wow. Um, Yeah, it was crazy because I was like so into skiing as a high school student. Excuse me. And, uh, and as that progressed, like, you know, I met some people that were good skiers and we, uh, we would go up to Mount Hood a lot and Mount Bachelor. Um, and I just, you know, I skied around and had a good time and did my schoolwork, eventually graduated um, in my fifth year. And uh, at that point, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I just need to move to the mountains. Right. Um, however, I had been offered a job at an architecture firm and it was a little hard to turn down, um, especially after going to school and paying to, to like basically work um when someone offers to pay you to work you're like wait a second that's amazing (laughs) (laughs) um and so i did that for about 18 months and at the end of the 18 months i was like i can't stand it i need to move to the mountains i need to be a ski ski bomb like if i don't do this now i'll never do it in my entire life and um and so I, I, I did it, you know, I, I bought a van and I, that's I that green, that the green fly low van that we yeah, see on the green it. machine. Uh, <laughs> Bubba, we call it. What um, do you call it? Bubba. Bubba. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of like a cool, but derpy in a way, you know? <laughs> well, you know what? It's, it's more appealing than Josh Madsen's black, um, free heel life van. I don't even know if it's on the road anymore, but it's like, you know what? If you see yeah. that in the neighborhood, lock up your children. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had to get your wife. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I, I moved up to Tahoe in that green van and uh, just spent my, uh, one season there is actually all it took. Uh, it was 2017, and um, Trump had just gotten elected. Uh, I, I moved up to Tahoe, and I didn't have any friends, and that happened, and I was just like, oh, God, what's, like, the world's going to shit. <laughs> and uh and then it just started snowing and it snowed 30 feet oh, it, it, it pukes there it's crazy it's crazy it's it's so like bipolar i i guess i i would say is um we have years where it's just unbelievable like too much you right. know 
Um, and it's hard to deal with. It's actually sometimes hard to ski because it's just constantly snowing. Right. And the avalanche danger is constantly high or extreme. And um, it's sometimes it's not always good snow too. It's like wet Well, that's snow. that's what I was going to ask because my friend Jarl, I don't know if you know Jarl Berg. He's up in Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. And I talk to him a lot. And it seems like well, it's West Coast Cement or something like that, they call it. Yeah, Sierra Cement. Yeah, Sierra Cement. Go. Okay, yeah. So and, it, uh, Cascade concrete. So they're all the same thing, <laughs> but just different mountain ranges. <laughs> and we just call that shit out here. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. That's that's what it seems like. But um, yeah, it snowed 30 feet in January. Wow. And 30 feet in February. Whoa. Eight feet in March. I wonder 12 if 12 feet in April. Wow. And then and then and then I think it was about done. Um, but it was the it was the wildest season. I had ever experienced, you know, I was like, Oh my gosh, is this what it's like to live in Tahoe? Wow. Uh, tur- turns out it's, it's not right. Um, it's only sometimes like that. Uh, but yeah, that, that one season, it was funny. I had all these like hopes and dreams to like, you know, um, like be a part of the tele community and, you know, be an influential school, like skier in the tele community. And, um, what I realized was like, as soon as I moved to Tahoe, it, it all kind of just like happened. It's just, everyone is, is there and doing the same thing. And you're, uh, there's so many people, uh, um, skiing and performing in the sport in, um, such a high level and way more than just tele skiers. Right. Like, um, and it's like so build it just, and they will come. <laughs> yeah. Um, you just become part of the local community. That's cool. Um, and that's really what I, what I fell in love with was, uh, you know, that local community of skiers, um, tele skiers, alpine skiers, snowboarders, all alike. You know, I definitely gravitated to, um, working with Ty and skiing with Ty a bunch, um, which is where those movies came out of it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm so glad, I'm so glad that you guys have done that. Yeah. Thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad that, uh, there are people out there that, that appreciate that because, um, when I was growing up, I used to, I was an avid follower of, uh, power horse yeah. and, uh, tough guy productions yep. and unparalleled. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, all of those guys made movies that literally led me to be doing everything that I've done in the last five years. Yeah. Um, and to kind of see that disappear. Yeah was sad, you yep. know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was right around that time that powder wrote that article about telly skiing being dead. Yep. Uh, and then there was a huge <laughs> backlash, right? And now powder's dead, which is hilarious to me. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it felt good for Ty and I to do that, I think. And as much as, um, you know, we, I think we made like two movies, um, together and I, I've been wanting to do a third. I have not yet, gotten to it um it's been a interesting time for me um i did like i ended up changing my whole career i really fell in love with filmmaking and almost as much as uh i did with skiing it just was it became this fun thing and it it became something that i i really gravitated towards um and realized seemed like was more of a a right path for me than than architecture and it, it was more in line with, uh, my lifestyle. At the right. Time. Yep. Um, and so I kind of ran with it. And, um, since then, you know, obviously we had COVID yeah. uh, and, and COVID's still going on, but when it started, it was, uh, it was a huge, uh, 
slap in the face. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like everybody's ski season ended, right? That was yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and, and for me, like I had just started Mad Grand Media. Right. Like four months before that. Oh, jeez. Um, and, and quit my job and committed to it. I was like, I am good enough at this now. I have, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with Flylo for the last several years and um, Flylo was like my biggest client at the time. And I was like, I can, I think I can make this work. Right. Um, and so I quit my job and I just did that full time. And then four months later, the country shut down and the economy crashed and, you know, people just didn't know what to do, didn't know what was going to happen. And, um, and that really, uh, it did good and bad thing for me. You know, it um, uh, mostly good, I would say. Um, it it really like pushed me to like, figure out my situation, right? right? And and to build a business and expand my network for filmmaking, um, in order to continue to make it because I didn't know what I was going to do. I wasn't about to go get another job in architecture. That would be kind of a difficult thing to explain my way back right into a position like that. And um, and that it also kind of facilitated uh, a distancing of. Uh, my mission from making these telling movies into uh, making money, making film projects. Right. Um, and uh, not to, you know, uh, I have nothing but love for the telly industry, but it is not an industry where you can, uh, as a filmmaker, make the, a, a living. It'd be, um, it'd be like a friend of mine who's a race car driver and coach. It's like, how do you make a million dollars in car racing? Start yeah. with two million. <laughs> there you go and you lose a million and there's your million <laughs> yeah um you know it's similar to that and i just i love tele skiing and i love the tele community um but at that time in my life i just had to make things work and so um, i ended up gravitating to doing more commercial like film work right um and have since gotten um had had a decent amount of success success doing that and i've gotten really really busy Nice. Um, and that's a great thing. Uh, but at the same time, I would really love to make that third telly movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? We'd all love to see you make it, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think Ty's coming out with a movie uh, this fall as well. So right. there is something to look forward to. Oh, good. There. Good. Yeah. How did you and Ty meet? Like up at Tahoe? Yeah. You know, it was it was a comp thing. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I, I met him, I think, at the Grand Tari Telecom. Yeah. I don't remember what year. Um, but, you know, whatever. We're all homies. We're all kind of ski around and um, are pushing each other and whatnot and um, learning from each other. And uh, when I moved to Tahoe, I, I hit him up, and I was like, hey, I live in Tahoe now. Like, we should ski together. Yeah. Yeah, and then we started skiing together, and he's a cool guy. He just had a baby. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. That's... He, yeah, he's uh, – uh, he's making his, his life work and I, and I love it. You know, him and Savannah are such nice, warm, loving people. And, um, you know, Ty's such a badass, like on skis <laughs> and like in every other aspect of life, you know, like right. he crashes wow. it. He like drops trees, builds trails, fights fires. Well, I know. know. I, I was just showing a friend of mine, uh, his Facebook post from maybe two years ago at nighttime where he's in fighting a fire yeah. And just saying how hot it was. And, and my buddy was like, what? You know, couldn't, yeah. couldn't believe it. It's like, yeah, you have to be badass to do that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I couldn't believe, like, when so Savannah just had the baby and um, 
when the Caldor fire was moving through South Lake or, or very, very close to South Lake, you know, Ty's a firefighter. I think he was like trying to manage um, his wife's like yeah. uh, contractions while this fire fire was like a mile from their house. Oh, that close. And, like, wow. Yeah. I mean, they had to evacuate and yeah. I was sitting there sweating, checking the fire map, like every like hour I was out in Seattle. I was visiting, visiting family at the time. And, um, and that's like, all I could think about was like, I can't believe this is happening. Like I cannot believe that I have friends in South Lake right now, um, that are going through this such momentous part of their lives and they're having to deal with this evacuation notice. And yeah. at the time, you know, before we knew what was going to happen, it just seemed like South Lake was going to burn down, you know, the whole right. thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, props to him for, for, for making it, making it work and, and being, uh, being there for his wife and now his family and, yeah. and fighting fire. It's, and, it's intense. Uh, you know what? Like I tell a lot of people and I don't know, I interview a lot of people who are Americans and that sort of stuff. And so I, I try yeah. to be well balanced. I watch a Canadian national news. I watch the local news and then I'll watch American news. And I, I just kind of sit there and go, what did you guys do? You got tornadoes, hurricanes, forest fires, um, some presidents that we that we won't name. Oh yeah, and, and, and it's like equally as what? bad as a natural disaster, if not more yeah. so. <laughs> and it's like, what did you guys do to deserve this? And like my family, part of my family are American. They're from Vermont. Yeah, back in the day, and uh, it's like, you know, we live up here in Canada. It's pretty benign. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have a pretty yeah. even climate. My daughter living in, you know, across the river from Detroit, you know, this year is the first time. It's like, yeah, man, dad, I got tornado warnings on my phone. I said, well, get the baby, get some stuff, get underneath the stairs and just yeah. chill until it passes. You know, it's, right. you know, we, we don't get hit by tornadoes very often. Yeah. I think we did have a hurricane that came up through like back in the 1950s in the Toronto wow. area. Yeah. Like, wow. And, and we have forest fires, but because we're sparsely populated, yeah, they don't address them, you know, they just let yeah, them burn out. Which is honestly, it's, yeah, it's a very, I'm, I'm not super educated on, on the intricacies of the problem, but it is a very um, complicated issue with fires that, that humans have kind of created on themselves. You know? Right. Yeah. We have created all these communities, um, in the mountains specifically, you know, in the Western part of the United States that are just at risk of burning down. Like yeah. always. Yeah. And, um, and because of that, we're fighting these fires so hard to stop them from spreading the way that they would naturally spread, that it's causing the, um, you know, the underbrush and the fuel, in the lower parts of the forest to just collect and collect and collect so that when we do have a fire, they're catastrophic. Right. Yeah. And, um, it's just, I don't know, it's a complicated problem because it's like, you can't tell people to just be like, let it burn when it's their house. That's going to burn down. Right. Exactly. Um, I know, I know it's, it's, you know what, it's my wife and I will watch some stuff and, and it's like, you know, we follow some people on YouTube or something like that. They're building a house, I'm kind of thinking near uh, Park City, and it's like it's forest fire area. 
Why would you build a house yeah. there? You know, like my brother-in-law, he lives in northwestern Ontario on Lake Superior. Yeah. There's lots of forest fires in northwestern Ontario. So he built a house to try to be uh, as, um, it, you know, so it wouldn't burn down. So the siding on it is concrete. It's got a steel roof, you know, that sort of stuff, just in case, you know. And, yeah, uh, yeah it's it, but it, like you said, it. And you guys have 10 times the population we do on a smaller land mass. So yeah. Yeah. It becomes, you know. becomes a problem. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But you know, the snow eventually comes and it kicks out all the fires and we get to have fun and ski again. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. We're in that time of the, uh, the year right now where, you know, I'm, I'm praying for snow. Every time I see a little system coming through, I'm like, Ooh, is this going to be one where, uh, where we're going to see the first snow. I have bets out with um, some of my friends about when the first snow in Tahoe is going to be. Right. And uh, we've had several little systems that have come through and, and just rained a little bit. Right. It, it looks like it's like on the cusp. We're like, oh man, we're going to see the snow flurries. Like who's, who's going to win this bet? Are we all going to lose? <laughs> right. So how, how tall are the mountains out at Tahoe? Um, they, they top out at around nine grand. Okay. Uh, there's a few that are above that. Right. Um, I was just like curious because I saw uh, yeah. Snowbird. They had snow this week, and two weeks ago, I think um, Whistler had snow up at the top. Oh, cool! Yeah, well, they always have that sort of glacier thing that's up there that yeah, people go and totally. train on. And but. in Colorado, like the Intercontinental Mountains, you know, up there always get they always have like an early season. Right. Uh, we're up. We're always jealous in California. We're like, what? You guys get to ski like a month and a half before us. <laughs> so when, when generally do the people around Tahoe get to ski? Yeah, you know, um, I would say it's probably about mid-November. Oh, okay. That's uh, uh, like Jay Peak in yeah. the east. That's not far from my cottage. I consider that my home mountain. Yeah. And I'll, they're I'll always, always ready yeah. to go for Thanksgiving. They have a couple of runs ready. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of the same here where they start making snow uh, like mid-October to mid-November, and we generally get, you know, enough of a snowstorm to open like a couple runs. Right. Um, it's not always good, uh, but then again, we always we sometimes get uh, systems that come in in like mid-November or early December, and it's dirt everywhere, oh. and then it drops eight feet of snow oh man um and it just transforms the landscape into this winter wonderland i mean like every time it snows it kind of transforms landscapes but like this is like so extreme because it looks like it's still summer right and then it just disappears and you have these like pillowy bulbous <laughs> boulders that are, are just these crazy formations that you only see early season and we call that zero to hero oh okay cool <laughs> uh, yeah because it's like it goes from no skiing to let's huck yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know let's go ski cool lines and uh, oh pretty that's cool man yeah I, i've never skied out on the west coast I, I did ski the first of august on uh it's in washington it's the floating mountain there uh in the Crystal? North. no no it's uh Oh, geez, I can't remember the name of the mountain. Mount Baker? Yeah, Mount Baker. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we went, uh, went out west for uh, a family reunion and a wedding for my wife's family, and I said, well, I'd like to ski. 
Yeah. So we went yeah. out there and the girls uh, surfed in Tofino. And then wow. the next day we, I wanted them to take their snowboards because they're boarders. But my wife was like, yeah. well, I don't know what the snow is going to be like. But it was like, it was easy. And nice. uh, yeah, we just, I took my gear and walked up and down and just skied. And they actually awesome. sledded on their uh, boards. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Is, uh, is Tofino on Vancouver Island? Is that where? It is. Yeah. That's where all oh. the surfers like to go. So Sweet. Yeah. yeah, I've always, uh, because my family's from Seattle, I've always, they live up there now. I've always been curious, like, if I was to move to Seattle ever, like, uh, where would I, like, how would I do the surfing thing? Because I, I grew up by the ocean, and I was a big surfer. I, I don't know how I became so, so much better of a skier than a surfer, because I, <laughs> I think I put a lot more time into surfing. Right. <laughs> my childhood. Uh, it was just a lot closer. Uh, yeah, because yeah, Seattle, when you think about it, even though it's on water and that sort of stuff, it's inland a fair amount because you got the Olympic yeah. Peninsula or the Olympia Peninsula. Yeah, exactly. And, and all the, the archipelago islands and then Vancouver Island is really the coast. It's like the peninsula and Vancouver Island. Are yeah. Coast. Yeah. And, and uh, there's a lot of, because when we went out west, um, I, when we retired, we did a big trip out through Canada, back through the U.S. And we were on Vancouver Island and... Um, there's an area called, I think it's called Jordan. And it's about halfway up. You don't have to go as far as Tofino. Everybody loves to go to Tofino to, to surf. But there's yeah. a big surfing crowd about midway up. Cool. Yeah, that would probably be the closest place Yeah. for somebody from Seattle. Unless you head straight out west across the peninsula. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was when we did our trip. It was really cool. We were visiting my wife's cousin uh, in Beaverton, and uh, I told my mentioned to my wife. I said, "You know, I'd like to see a Pacific sunset because when we were here in two thousand and seven, we never really did. So yeah. we beetled it, and I didn't realize that we were still like two hours from the coast. Yeah, right. right. <clears throat> but it was perfect. We got to this place called Pacific City, walked across all the dunes. There was nobody there. And then as the sun starts to descend, all of these people come out of the woods to the dunes oh. and watch the sunset. Yeah, it was pretty wow. intense. Yeah, it was it was really cool. That's amazing. Yeah, really enjoyed that. That was uh, that was pretty sweet. Yeah, I um I lived in Vancouver for a little bit. Vancouver. Uh, sure. Yep. In Washington or Vancouver, no, in, Canada? Uh, in BC. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Um, I did a, a study abroad there even even though I, I went to university of oregon it was only a couple hours north yeah yeah <laughs> not really abroad but uh <laughs> it was it was a fun little program that, that we did and we stayed in uh in downtown vancouver and um it was crazy man like the the sunsets there i like you think of vancouver as like seattle like it's cloudy all the time yeah especially like springtime it's like supposed to rain all the time and it did it definitely rained all the time um, but there was this weird thing that happened that it would like rain around the city. It would be cloudy all day long and, um, just offshore, um, there would be like no clouds. And at the very end of the day, the sun would pop underneath the clouds wow. for a matter of like minutes, yeah. you know, and light up the entire underbody of these rain. Oh, clouds. that's intense. And this crazy pink and this would just it would happen like on the regular yeah. I, it was this weird experience where i was like this is it's cloudy all day every day but we get these crazy insane sunsets yeah. 
Very cool. So I have some questions about your filmmaking and skiing and all that sort of yep. stuff. So um, how do you go about recruiting your cast? How long does it take to make your films? Because uh, I was able to take my students one year to for a day to the uh, Toronto International Film Festival. They have a building called the Bell Blue Light Building or something like that, and they have an educational program. So yeah. we went, we worked with an editor, and it was intense. All the different shots that we would have to do over and over again. We were there for like six hours. And at the yeah. end of it, the guy sent us a, a DVD, and there's 30 seconds. So we spent <laughs> eight hours, and that's when I realized how important film editors are. Yes, totally. They, um, I would say the editors of film have... Um, a lot of control um, in terms of how the film comes out. Um, and that's for a variety of reasons. It's, it's for the structure of how the film unfolds. It's for the music choice of, uh, that goes into the films. Um, and then the audio of like, you know, who's talking and how they get cut together and right. what, who says what, when, and, and all that stuff. Um, I mean, in terms of like casting, uh, it's for ski films, I guess I have two answers for this, right? Be, because like, um, when I started doing this, it was really just like friends of friends, you know, it was Ty and I that went out and we're like, okay, we'll make a, make a video together. Right. And whoever we run into along the way, <laughs> we're, you know, if they're cool, tally skier, like we're going to try to get them in the film. So right. like Ben, for example, was in the, uh, Japan segment of the Telmark tale. Uh, Sven's this awesome Aussie, and he uh, works, uh, he was working for Ski Japan at, at the time as a guide. Right. And um, so he was our quote unquote guide slash friend. Um, it was just like telling us where to go, like showing us the cool places. Uh, and so we, you know, we wanted him to be in the film. And so we got him in there and then. I think a couple of the other guys, uh, Josh Madsen organized this um, like Telmark get together for uh, like the Free Heel Life team back in the day. Right. Um, and so that was like another thing where we um, got together with a bunch of these tele skiers right before the comp and right. did a little filming segment. Um, and so those people were kind of already handpicked by Josh. Um, and then the comp, you know, everyone that um, is, you know, competitive in the telly world and pretty much goes to the comps. And, right. Oh, man, what was the last? I think it was just the Tahoe segment. And then it's just Ty and his friends, you know. Yeah. Um, and in our next movie, uh, we wanted to get, we didn't have um, a female athlete in the first movie. And so the next movie, we got a lot of questions like, where's the female athlete? And, um, so we were thinking about, like, who's the female athlete that we want to highlight, um, but is also in Tahoe. And now it's just easy. I mean, it's making right. And, and she has such a cool story with her kids and with her job and, um, you know, just still pushing it skiing and, and being like a part of that whole vibe. It's, uh, I know she, like, she told me she grew up just outside of Detroit also. At, yeah, at, yeah. She skied, oh, skied this place called Mount Brighton. So, you know, I ski similar places in Eastern Ontario like that. And, yeah. and then she was telling me she played soccer for Cornell university, I think. And then she knew yeah. exactly. She'd, cross over into Canada, drive down to Buffalo through Niagara Falls and St. Catharines and then truck on down into New York to go to Cornell. It's like, 
you know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's really crazy. Um, where you start off and where you end up. Yeah. One of the funny things that she told me in, uh, in interviewing her and hanging out with her a little bit was, uh, Brighton, I believe is a dump. Or yeah. It, it's like a mountain land, land landfill site. I think Yeah, there you go. Land. <laughs> Somebody corrected so, me one time. I was like, Oh yeah, you ski in a dump. No, 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 no. I ski in a landfill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's just like a landfill, and it just makes enough of a hill that they can like. My my daughter's there. been there when they first moved here to Windsor. It's like there's no ski hills here, so yeah. where do you go? They go over to right. Win, uh, Michigan, and they they ski yeah. these little bumps, you know. So yeah, yeah, I I know. Um, out west in Saskatchewan, they ski the ditches. That's what they call it. Right. So, so it's, yeah, that's yeah. right. Down into the valleys. And that, right. and that, you know what, we do a fair amount of skiing like that. Uh, there's quite a few uh, ski resorts in Ontario where you can park at the top and you ski down to the chalet. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty funny. You know, there's a ski resort here in California like that too. Oh, is there? Yeah, well, it's not totally like that, but there's a lot of, like, the cool part of the mountain is lower than where you park. Right. I think Power Mountain might be like that as well in Utah. Oh, okay. Um, but, yeah, it's always a funny thing. You're like, wait, I'm, like, at elevation right now, and I'm skiing down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So yeah. how long does it, did it take you to, or does it take you to film your movie like how much total time several weeks yeah well it depends right um unless you're traveling like yeah for for a whole movie i mean if we're talking about like a 10 minute segment yeah um that could be one trip so that could be like a matter of a week right uh, and that would just be filming for it not necessarily editing um the movies that ty and i were working on they were like whole season endeavors okay that's what i was kind of figuring yeah yeah uh because it's like multiple trips and it doesn't mean that we're filming eight hours a day every day right it's not like a full-time job but like we have to be kind of on top of it with like following the weather getting together enough times during good weather to get enough shots you know a lot of the ways that these movies um, are made these days a lot of like you know big bigger budget ski films too, like the blank collective films, you know, it's not just one filmer. It's right. like, like 15 filmers. And it's, it's really like just the athletes filmers that go out with the athletes on the days that are good to get the shots that then get cl- like conglomerated into right. uh, a mass of all of this footage and trip footage and individual shots. And it kind of gets like mashed together in, in the best way possible. And yeah. Um, the, the second year I, I went out filming with Ty, like maybe like a couple times, but a lot of the shots were like shot by other people, you know, right. I kind of just edited it. Okay. Uh, and so like, yeah, it, it becomes like hard to coordinate sometimes, especially when, uh, when people have like jobs or other responsibilities and, and then, like, you can't ever choose the weather, right? Exactly. So it, it snows when it snows. And uh, when it snows, you got to go. Yeah. Um, and Ty always used to say, if we if we got one shot a day, then that was a successful day. Okay. That's uh, That sounds like a full-time job just to do that. <laughs> Honestly, it's a lot of work. It uh, is. I, you know what? I, I would uh, 
just because they're in Vermont. I don't know if you've ever heard of the guys from Ski to the, Ski the East. Oh yeah, totally. And they had I don't know if they still do Meathead Films, and uh, you know they were getting into some new school kids and yeah, doing stuff. And then at the end of the DVDs, they would have all the takes, and it you know you, you don't realize that it takes these guys thirty times. Before yep. they nail the landing, you know, it's something, yeah. it's like, wow. And then at the end of the film, it's like, oh my gosh. Or yeah, somebody's got their face all gashed up afterwards. Right. Especially the street skiing. Street skiing oh. is more like uh, skateboarding, you know. It's like they're trying all these crazy things. They're setting up all these crazy, you know, um, scenarios, right? And uh, Yeah, and they've got that. I don't know what that high speed pulley is with like a water ski rope or something. They get up to speed and then they throw it out and then they can just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. It's, uh, it's so funny. Or the bungee cords too, right? right. I've heard those bungee cords are pretty dangerous actually because you have to like stretch them back, you know? And then when you grab them, they're the strongest. Right. Um, so I, I've heard those can go go wrong pretty, pretty often. I don't know. I'm not much of a, a street skier. Um, but I always like I have really wanted to film the street scene. Uh, to be honest, I think I don't know if Ty would be into it anymore. He's uh, I think he's moving more. He's moved to the backcountry, right? Uh, primarily, but uh, it would be fun to, to do that with a tele skier as well. Yeah, yeah. Where, where I grew up, it was pretty flat, so we uh, scajored with a snow machine. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I got into my awesome. uncle's ski boots and his skis and. With a water ski rope, and that's the way we yeah. went. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, if you can make turns, you can make turns, right? Uh, you know what? That's that's what I say all the time. We would have snow days. I don't know if they have snow days in Tahoe at school, but where school's canceled, or they don't yeah. cancel our school. They'll cancel the buses. Hang on a second. My daughter's cat is jumping on the equipment here. Come here, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey. Yeah. This is dude. Dude, dude, up, dude. Yeah, she's got dude, and then some. Another one called Charlie, which I call Chuck Norris. <laughs> and then, and then they got a pain in the ass German short hair pointer named Axel. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I call him <laughs> asshole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, I, anyway, so they they'll cancel the buses, but they won't cancel school. So we'll have a handful of kids come, and they always know that I've skied because we have this great boulevard with well-spaced trees and I'll figure eight the trees and they'll come back the next day. And I'll do that on my lunch hour. Yeah. And they come back the next day and go, you were skiing, right? And then <laughs> one time I had this dad yell out the door, are you Mr. Woods? I was like, yes. Sierra said she, you'd probably be out skiing tonight. <laughs> and that's like right in town. It's a couple of hundred yards long and yeah, doesn't matter where you make a turn as long as you get in your turns. Yeah, that's for sure, man. That is for sure. Yeah, cool. So I want to know, because I, I love architecture. Yeah. And I was uh, interviewing um, Corey Schneider. He's a former, the ret a retired captain of the U.S. Telemark World Cup team. Yeah, I know Corey. Not well, but um, I've met him before at one of the comps. Okay, anyways, so we're, yeah, he's in Austria right now. He may have finished his Ph.D. in biomechanics. Anyway, so we were talking about stuff because when I was in university, I, history is my minor. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a, I wrote a paper on the evolution and no, the development and evolution of the pointed arch in Gothic architecture. 
Oh, nice. I and, think I wrote a similar paper in, in school, something like that. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I had no interest in traveling to Europe until I until I wrote that paper. And then Corey yeah. says, yeah, like right behind my apartment, there's a, he's in Salzburg. He, cool. he says there's a cathedral yeah. that has, when it was the year it was built, only has three digits. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was That's pretty. That's incredible. So what sort of architecture did you do were you interested in still interested in yeah totally um i well in school you kind of learn uh, i would explain architecture school like a um, design school with a focus on buildings okay um it's very it starts out so artsy you know you're not even like designing spaces or anything they told you to do all these like things like you know tie strings around trees or like make things out of clay and you're like, how is this like <laughs> architecture? Right? Uh, but then it, it slowly kind of morphs into more of a, a uh, building specific um, learning process. And uh, I don't know, I, I learned about all different types of architecture. We had um, architectural history classes. We had architectural theory classes. We had um, classes that talked about the context of architecture and the environment and in social lives and, uh, and all these different kind of uh, aspects of uh, the human experience. And, um, you know, I was really drawn to like modern architecture, right. which uh, seems pretty standard, but I don't know, there's something about um, the simplicity of, of modern architecture that. Um, just makes sense. It's like form and function just go so well together that uh, it, the, um, the art and the beauty of the space is also in the way that you use it and, and move through it uh, and the way that it makes you feel. Uh, I, there was a time in school where I was very attracted to like the craziest of the crazy, right? you know, sculptress, uh, sculpture-like buildings, yeah. right? Uh, I know we have some in Mississauga, which is, a, am going to say, a borough of Toronto, mm -hmm. whereas as the building goes up, it, it yeah. looks like a salt shaker, actually, and the middle of the building yep. is a wider than the top and the bottom, and yep. it's it's off-center, you know? Oh, it's very very fluid, yeah. It's, it's, right. I think yeah. there are two buildings that make up that, that building complex. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, there was something that attracted me to like the the sculpture-esque nature of um, of certain buildings and um, just having the actual building be a piece of art, um, just like any cathedral, you know, in Europe. Yeah. Like the cathedral is like, why why put so much detail and hundreds of years into these things? Um, well, because it's a piece of art because they still exist today, you know. Yeah. And the average life for a modern building like the building that I'm in right now, you know, the average life for buildings like this is like about 40 years. Okay. Uh, until they get demolished and rebuilt. Right. Um, which is hugely unsustainable. Honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, buildings that were built a hundred years ago were meant to like live for, you know, as long as they possibly could. And, and buildings now are built cheaply. They're built fast. They're built for, you know, profit. Um, and, you know, I don't know where I'm going with that really, but um, what I really like about architecture is the ability for it to to change the human experience to really um, create emotion right. out of space. And I think a lot of people don't really understand 
that that's really what architecture does. It it, it um, designs your lifestyle, right? right? When you walk into a hospital, for example, like where do you go? How do you get there? Um, the architecture is telling you that, right. you know, and there's signage and they're really very complicated buildings and, and whatnot. But um, everything about how you move through the built environment is, has an effect on you. Right. Uh, and that's honestly what, what I fell in love with, with architecture at, at the time. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm a creature of, uh, of the, the modern age and I kind of like the, the modern luck, but um, I, I absolutely um, appreciate and enjoy kind of all periods of architecture. You know, I love the art deco look. I love right. um, Gothic architecture. I, you know, I love like Native American architecture. Oh yeah. 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 Um, the, the way that they just use their materials for the most functional space, but then also the way in which it, their spirituality was brought into the way that they designed their stuff. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, I think that speaks to how much art architecture touches lives and touches, um, emotion, you know, cause spirituality is so ingrained in classic architecture. Um, right. Yeah. Even up, up until <clears throat> the modern age, but less so now. Right. Um, but you know, back in history, it's, that's what architecture was, you know, like the, the greatest feats of architecture were all religious buildings. Exactly. Yep. They were building so. them higher and taller to get closer to God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know yeah. what? It's interesting when you're through your explanation and all that right now, you remind me of a professor of mine when I did my uh, Bachelor of Education. I took uh, a few courses from him and one of them was uh, Human Dimensions in Education. But he also talked about human dimensions and things and, and buildings being built to human scale. Like he believed that a school should not have more than uh, 400 students in it. Anything yeah. bigger than that, there's there's no, it's kind of like you're not just a number <laughs> sort yeah. of thing, you know, right. above that. And then I also noticed through my travels, the most uh, appealing towns to me and I live in a pretty old town in, in Port Hope uh, in Ontario here. It has the the oldest uh, downtown main street in Ontario. Mm-hmm. So they they come to Port Hope to film a lot of older movies and that sort of stuff. But I notice that a lot of the buildings or the towns that I appreciate being in, their main streets and stuff aren't more than three stories tall. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. It's... Yeah. yeah. So I understand how you were explaining. Yeah. And, um, you just remind me of something as well, um, that, uh, you look at Europe and, and not even just Europe, but anywhere where, um, humans have lived for thousands of years. Uh, well, I guess now I'm catching myself in that statement. Humans have lived everywhere on the planet for thousands of years, but every, where there have been, um, cities that have developed and still exist today. Right. Um, <clears throat> And Europe is a very good example of that. You see this organic growth. Right. In the city. Yeah. Um, and if you look at like a plan, like a bird's eye view of the city, it looks like an organism. Uh, right. You know, there's no straight street that goes 
clear across the city from one end to the other. It's just doesn't, it just doesn't work like that. There's just all these crisscrossing things. There are always little nooks and crannies, and there are these squares that are like kind of dotted around the um, throughout the city. And um, there's like urban pockets. So like if you live somewhere, um, you don't have to walk more than a couple blocks to get everything you need to see, to get a pharmacy, to get um, your food, to um, you know do any such things. Um, whereas in America, um, America is a new age um, development. The whole country is. Right. <laughs> you know, in the last hundred years or two hundred years, like uh, the entire country has been developed, and it has been um, entirely built with the intention of uh, the automobile. Like yep. it changed, the automobile changed the entire way that we see um, the way that spaces um, are connected. Right. Uh, and so like, you know, the whole in the middle of this past century, um, there was this huge boom of uh, suburbs and um, there was a large uh, crisis actually of suicides because uh, people were so disconnected from their communities. They had their little white picket fence and they were miles and miles away from their grocery store. They didn't know their neighbors. They uh, didn't live anywhere close to where they worked. Um, they were just isolated. And um, that, that you don't see that in European and Eastern European um, communities. Yeah, see, just, I... I grew up um, in the suburbs of Montreal and yeah. I could take public transit bus and then the subway. And in 20 minutes be in downtown Montreal, uh, mm -hmm. I grew up most of my life in uh, being a kid without a vehicle. I always said we were the busing people. We would walk to the grocery store and when we had too many groceries, we'd take a cab home. We yeah. even, we even went camping from Montreal, we went down to Plattsburgh, New York, on the Greyhound bus. Yeah. <laughs> and I asked my dad, I said, how did we get that trunk of camping gear to the campground? Because there was five right. of us in my family. I don't think he could recall, but I'm going to probably think it was like a station wagon taxi <laughs> or something like that. And then a week later, my grandparents would come down. They had a station wagon. Then seven of us would go home with all the camping gear strapped to the top. But... Yeah, I, I understand being close. We could walk to get everything that we needed. Yeah, exactly. And there were, there's, and I'm going to hypothesize that even today, there's little tiny grocery stores that have, when I was growing up, they had them young kids, guys, 16, 17 years old, delivering groceries on bicycles with big yeah. baskets in the front and Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. You know, and, and what that's a cool job to have as a kid. right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So yeah, I yeah. understand that sort of European yeah. close community that right. uh, we don't see. Uh, like I tour by bicycle. I've done Lake Ontario four times. Yeah. And I tell you here in Canada, when we take the byways, there are grocery stores along the byways for us to pick up our our food for the next day and that night's supper. But when we're in New York, we have to pretty much go 25 miles out of our way, leave the lake, and go up to where all the box stores are up by the interstate 
get our groceries yeah. and then come back to the campground. It's <laughs> you know, it's like after you put in a hundred miles, you got to go twenty five more miles to get your groceries. Right. <laughs> I know, it's it's crazy. It's um, you know we we've designed a world that has created all these problems that we're now dealing with. Right. And um, yeah, it was it was a little bit of a depressing thing to learn about. Sometimes you know we had this architectural context class that was just like we fucked up. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? In Canada, Canada is even worse. Yeah. You know, people say, well, why does it cost so much for us to take uh, like the train to Vancouver? It's like, well, we only have one tenth the population of the U S right. Yeah. You know, or one, one hundredth of what they have in Europe. And, right. and we have to go, you know, 10 times the distance. Right. You know, it's uh yeah, it's, it's just the way North America is. It's the new frontier still, I guess. Yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> Instead of chuck wagons, it's interstates and big highways. <laughs> so Yeah, man. So what's next? What is for next? For Bevan well, and Mountain Grown Media. Let's see, man. Um You know, I mentioned that I want to do a third Telly movie. I think that will happen probably within the next couple of years. Cool. Um, Mountain Grown Media. Um, yeah, I have like goals of finding um, other clients in the outdoor industry. Uh, I my dream for Mountain Grown Media is to you know turn it into a small company that can support a couple people that um, love what they do. Um, are passionate about how they live and um, and their you know their own art I guess uh, and um, you know telling captivating important stories uh, beyond teleskiing you know yeah. not, is not the end all be all That's for me right. it's um, it is a, a pathway that I've taken to become more connected to a mountain community to. Um, come into contact with some wonderful people along the way. Um, and through that, I've been able to, you know, realize that there, there are stories in the world that need to be told, yep. uh, that the world can benefit from hearing. And, and I, I want to, and I hope to be able to tell some of those stories Cool. at some point. What those stories are, I don't know yet, but right. um, I'm sure that I will stumble across them when I do. Cool. Cool. Well, I want to thank you for being part of the Skippy Report. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate your time. And yeah. uh, thank you. I, I didn't know if this was going to happen on my end because I had <laughs> so many technical difficulties yeah. <laughs> coming up to it. Yeah. So, well, I'm sorry for delaying it a couple of times, but ah. I'm really glad that we were able to connect to you. Yeah, no, this, uh, this has been awesome. So thanks yeah. so much for uh, taking the time and being a guest here. Yeah, likewise. Uh, stay in contact with me, you know. Yeah, yeah, Instagram for sure. And email and, and whatever. Um, I'll, I'll be around. Well, there you have it, gang. Another episode of the Skippy Report down. Thanks again to Bevan Waite for being our guest this week. And if you need to get in touch with him, you want to follow him, find him on Instagram at Powderlicious. And check out his company, man mountaingrownmedia.com Thanks again for listening and check back later for another report.